Born in 1592 in the Highlands of Scotland, and he is still alive. He is immortal. Constantly facing other immortals in combat to the death, the winner takes his enemy's head. And with it, his power. We know the truth about immortals. In the end, there can be only one. May it be Duncan MacLeod, the Highlander. And welcome into Let's Watch Highlander. This is Let's Watch Highlander, the review of Highlander Endgame. We yeah, have boy. we have finished season four. We have given out our awards. We have wrapped things up in a nice, tidy little package. And now, between seasons, as we always do, we watch one of the movies, um, <laughs> which has some diminishing returns. But here we are, and we are watching the fourth Highlander film in the franchise, and the first one to incorporate the television series in Duncan MacLeod, Highlander Endgame. This movie came out in 2000. It starred Adrian Paul and uh, Christopher Lambert. So mm-hmm. we got we got both our Connor and our Duncan. Uh, and it's, um, boy, it's something. Let me tell you. It, uh, yeah. The plot of it is fairly, it's both simple and really confusing. Um, we, we get, uh, basically we get some flashbacks to Dunk or to Connor when he's still newly an immortal living, uh, with Heather that we remember from the first movie. And I was kind of impressed with that. I forgot about, so let's start okay. this way. Um, I remember seeing this movie in the theaters when it came out. Okay. Yep. I saw it with my roommate in college in Savannah, Georgia. Okay. Uh, I I texted him about it, and we both had the same memory of thinking it was so bad we both wanted to leave but didn't want to bother the other person. <laughs> like, we had this conversation when we left after the end of the movie. It was like, that was bad. Yeah. I really wanted to get up and leave. Wow. So did I. So. <laughs> um, But it's funny watching it now. Uh, for those of you looking for it, okay, there's... The original version, which was on DVD, and then on the DVD, they had what was called the producer's cut, mm-hmm. which is the movie the producers actually wanted to be in theaters. Yes. Apparently now, that is what you get when you buy or rent it through whatever streaming service, because I just rented it on Apple okay. and discovered that it was the producer's cut. There was nothing that said this is the producer's cut. Everything about it just said this is the movie. So I just went in thinking I was seeing the movie, and then... Having done, you know, research about the differences and then seeing the ending and stuff, I was like, oh, so this is the producer's cut. Okay. Because Which, I do not, rem- it was not as bad as I remember. Like, mm-hmm. I remember the movie being bad and watching it, I was like, okay. Yep. So, like any Highlander movie after the first one, there was a whole lot of production uh, fun, is the word I'll mm-hmm. use, that went into this one. So, this this movie started off... The idea, it was going to... They began pre-production during season six of the show in 98. And the idea was that they were going to do a um, a bit of a bridge uh, between Highlander the series and Highlander the Raven was the original concept that they were going to go for with this. Okay. And... For those of you who don't know, Highlander the Raven was a spinoff that focused on Amanda. Yep. 
Uh, High Under the, the Raven had poor um, ratings and got canceled. So they scrapped mm-hmm. that idea. They started reworking things. And uh, a year or so later in 99 is when they started finally filming. And they filmed this. And it was Dimension Films under, um, not New Line, but... Miramax. It, Miramax, that's what it was. Dimension Films under Miramax. Because <laughs> I watched all the way through the credits. It was like, it even says a production of the Walt Disney yeah. Studios. I was like, wow. Yeah, and uh, and the, the studio wanted... They wanted to shoot it in Romania because it was cheaper. Bill Bill Panzer and uh, Peter Davis wanted to shoot in Vancouver. That's where they had shot you know, the majority of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, studio said, no, we're going to shoot in Romania. Okay, fine. Uh, they reworked a few things. They ended up shooting a lot in London because um, the actor who played Jacob Kell, who we'll talk about, uh, Bruce Payne, got bronchitis, and they actually had to halt filming for a couple of months. Uh, and then he Hang didn't, didn't want to go back to Romania, apparently. That's, that's what I read. Yeah. Um, I've had bronchitis. I don't blame him. If you associate bronchitis with a certain place, I'd be like, no, I'm not going back there at all. Yeah. And uh, so there was a lot of production stuff that went into it. And then the studio, again, mandated some cuts to to speed up the film a little bit. And Mm -hmm. what got released in theaters did not do well. Uh, It had a roughly $25 million budget, which isn't huge, but fairly big for an R-rated film. Um to to a product to a, a property like this at the time, mm-hmm. it made like fifteen million at the box office. So it was a total bomb. The reviews yeah. are terrible. I think the Rotten Tomatoes score for the reviews at the time is like eleven percent. Like it's just bad. And part of it is that it was confusing for non fans of the series. Mm-hmm. Um. But it was also confusing for fans of the series. So it didn't really serve anybody, the theatrical version. So yeah. Panzer and Davis ended up getting to kind of recut things and put out the producer's cut. That's what ended up on the DVD eventually. Um, in fact, the DVD, you could get the theatrical, the producer's cut, and what was called a rough cut, which had... Right. The rough cut had unfinished visual effects, and like the time code was always there because it wasn't all color graded and finished off. But it had a few different plot elements we're going to mention. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the producer's cut filled in a lot of the the holes, uh, rearranged a few things, added some some important uh, exposition and dialogue, um, took out a couple of lines that changed things drastically, mm-hmm. and um, lengthened the final fight as well. Uh, and it's a much better film. It's still not. I'm not going to sit here and say this is a great film. However, no. In the line of Highlander sequels, it's the best of the Highlander sequels, if you ask me. Like, in my opinion. I completely agree. Like, honestly, this is a good movie. Not a great movie. Not a blockbuster. It's a good movie that I would say towards the end of it is when you are just like, okay, now you're making decisions and choices with characters I would not make. Yeah. Yeah. It's and we'll get there, but it's watchable. Which, mm-hmm. if you've seen the Highlander sequels, you know that that's not always a word you can use to describe them. Like the first two thirds of this movie feels like the series with movie production in a as lot far of as ways. The camera yeah. goes, yeah. Like it really feels that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got like if I were to if I were to kind of set levels for these films, right? You've got Highlander is up on its own. The first Highlander mm-hmm. stands alone. It's, in my opinion, a great fantasy action film. 
Right. After that, you get Highlander Endgame is, is, a, is a ways down, but it's watchable. It's fine. Mm-hmm. A little bit below that, I've got Highlander 3. Again, it's watchable. It's fine, but it's a, it's, a lot of it is a retread of the first movie and what made the first movie right. work. If it wasn't, if Highlander 3 wasn't so ridiculously over the top with Mario Van Peebles and Mako, it wouldn't yeah. be nearly as watchable as it is. Then right. you got to go quite a ways down before you get to Highlander 2. Mm-hmm. Which is somewhere down uh, a couple of feet below the earth, and uh, and then you're you're digging a well for quite a while, for quite a while, until you finally get to where Highlander the Source is, which is somewhere near the the magma of the earth. That's where all the poop goes. Yes, it's it's terrible, uh, and we get to watch it later. So you know, there's that. Um, yay! But the the stuff that worked in this, I think, worked okay. And I kind of want to break down. First, I want to talk about some characters um, mm-hmm. that were in this movie only. So we've got Connor and we've got Duncan yep. and Christopher Lambert's back. It's uh, oh boy, was this like Connor and Duncan the buddies movie? Oh yeah, and which I loved. It was fun. Yeah, the two of them have good chemistry together. Uh, mm-hmm. We we talked about that in the pilot episode of the series, The Gathering, right? That they played off each other well. And what I like about this is this is about eight years later. And mm-hmm. Adrian Paul has come so far as an actor in those eight years. Like he yep. was he was fine at the beginning of the series, but he grew so much over the course of that series mm-hmm. that that there's there's something there's just more there in this movie between the two of them. Um having Lambert back is great. Connor McLeod is wonderful. He's definitely starting to show his age. He's visually yeah. looking old, and so it makes sense what they did with the character in terms of like writing him out of the series. Because right. it's kind of like Brent Spiner getting written, written out as Data, where it's like at some point Brent Spiner is going to start looking older, and he can't play Data, who's supposed to be ageless. And the same thing with, right. with Lambert as Connor. Mm-hmm. He's starting, you know, he's getting a little, getting a little jowly. His hair is getting a little bit gray, and he's he's like he just yeah. he, he's aging. So, mm-hmm. but it was great to have him back. And one of the things I noticed, um, his Scottish accent still is not great. Okay. He's, that's, <laughs> right. that's never going to be. However, it's much improved in the 15 years between the first movie and this one. Um, sure. Those, yeah. those flashbacks to Glenn Finnan, um, I actually thought that he, he had shown some improvement in his accent there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he, like, I thought Lambert was good. Um, and he's playing. Connor at this point is broken because the movie yeah. opens up and one of the things they did in the producer's cut. So we're going to we're going to pepper in the the stuff that made the producer's cut better. Right. The very beginning of the movie in the producer's cut we get a scene with Duncan and Connor and they're just they they're coming up out of a subway in New York. Duncan's mm-hmm. buying a hot dog, they're chatting and then Connor's like, "Hey, I got an errand, I got to go run." And it's confusing Duncan because he's like, "You called me in Paris, you told me we got to meet right now. Here I am. Where are you going?" And Connor's like, He's a little cagey about things, and he kind of he he leaves and tells him, you know, hey, watch your back. And then he he heads off to his antique store, his Nash Antiques. Right. W- we cut to Rachel, who's the woman that he raised as his own child that we remember from the first movie. So if you've mm-hmm. seen, if you're a fan of the series and you've seen the if you and you remember that first movie, this was and it was uh, the same the same uh, actor played her. Yeah, same actress did it. That was. That part of it, I was really impressed with. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. She goes inside. The door's unlocked. So she's a little confused, thinking that maybe Connor's there. 
she goes inside and there's a video playing of her and Connor through kind of through her life, like like moments. Mm -hmm. And then the phone starts to ring and we get a quick cut of some guy in a hat walking away and there's a shot showing his shoes, um, which have a very distinct on the heel. There's three crosses Mm -hmm. and this, this is all kind of happening at once as Connor's walking up to the building, she picks up the phone and the building explodes. Yep. Just goes nuts. And then, then we cut away. Um, so Rachel has been killed in an explosion by someone. And now we get this kind of montage of stuff with, uh, Connor in he's, he's in, he's like strapped into some chair bed thing and he's monologuing a little bit and reminiscing. And that's mm-hmm. when we get our flashback to, to Scotland. So this thing that he's in is called the sanctuary. We find out later, or actually they, right. they put a slug up on the screen. They call it the sanctuary, mm-hmm. um, which but don't explain it. They don't explain it. And there's, the sanctuary. there's some plot hole issues I have with it, but it is Connor is there and, and he starts to reminisce about his life. Uh, back in Glenfinnan, and his mother is being treated poorly in the village. So he goes back to see her, and then she gets, right. she's going to get burned at the stake um, for basically for being his mom and him being uh, you know in league with the devil because he's immortal. Right. And here we see those same crosses on the on the heel of this guy's shoes, and it's his friend. It's it's Connor's friend, Jacob Kell. Right. who is the son of like the priest in the village. And they're the mm-hmm. ones going to kill Connor's mom. And right. there's a whole thing that goes on with that. And it's kind of brutal actually, because they put black powder in a pouch around her neck so right. that when they light her on fire, that eventually is going to go. And as they say, to ease her suffering, I was like, Ooh man, that's rough. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't exactly realize what it was. I was like, so is that what's in there? They're going to, they got some smoking stuff to yeah. make her pass out or something, and then it explodes. I was like, "Nope, <laughs> nope, <laughs> that's not what that that that's different kind of easing her pain." Yeah. Um. So that whole thing happens. Connor, there's like a big moment where Connor breaks out of the cell that he's in, and he's mm-hmm. he goes out to her. She's dying in his arms, and the priest comes up behind him, and Connor just stabs the guy out of rage, which Kel watches happen. Then Kel. He's like, Father, no, and he grabs a sword and he charges Connor and Connor sticks him. Right. And walks away. And, and I gotta say, at this point, I'm with Connor. I'm like, You killed my mom. Oh yeah. I ain't I'm done with all of you. <laughs> yep. Pretty much. There was so there w- tell me if you remember in the theatrical cut, was the fire set to the village done by Connor, or was it still the accident like we saw here? Do you remember at all? I, I don't remember at all. I think I read where it may have just been an early version of the script that it was Connor set the fire to the village and, and right. the producers were like, eh, no, that doesn't really seem like he would be upset, but he wouldn't go that far. So they kind of reworked right. that might've been in the rough yeah. cut is what I'm thinking of. It might, might be the rough. Maybe. Cut. So you got Connor, uh, goes away with his mother and, and buries her and mm-hmm. Kel wakes up and he's now an, now an immortal. Right. Um, which Connor doesn't know. And Connor still hadn't even like figured out what he mm-hmm. was exactly yet. Like this yeah. is still this is still within like ten or so years of him being an immortal. So he may have spent some time with Ramirez, but like he's Except still learning they, and he's really only they, run into Ramirez. In this they they kind of 
made it seem like he had a tingle with uh, Kel coming. And he didn't understand it, but I'm like, does that mean Kel was an immortal at this point? No, that can be so. They're very inconsistent with the the buzz or the tingle and how that works with pre immortals. Sometimes yeah. they feel it. They they know like later on we find well, they out talk that about they, it later. Yeah, yeah, they know that that um, there's a whole thing with uh, in the series Richie and like Connor saying, "Hey, keep an eye on the kid," and like Duncan knowing that Richie was a pre immortal, right? But he never felt him. Like so, it's it's inconsistencies there. But mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so this is all a flashback while Connor is in the sanctuary, and while he's right. in there with a bunch of other immortals, Kel and his band of people show up. They mm-hmm. they kill all the watcher slash monks uh, that were guarding the sanctuary. Which, by the way, we had the wonderful '90s late '90s trope of monks with guns. Yeah. I mean, I think there were two Jean-Claude Van Damme movies that had spy monks. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a bunch of stuff that did this, and it was a silly trope. Um, and like, Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where we're trying to tell a story visually with how they're dressed and stuff, but it really doesn't work for who these people are. Like, watchers do not need to be in robes for any reason. No, they <laughs> like don't, that, other than the visual of just, it. Yeah. It it that's just a weirdness and it's like what okay. And it takes you a while before you finally see somebody's tattoo and realize they're watchers. Which again, if you're if you're fans of the material, the uh the series and the movies, you kind of have a feeling like these might be watchers, but you don't know mm-hmm. for certain. Right. And if you're not a fan and you're just watching this movie cuz hey, I saw a trailer for this blah blah blah, um you're very confused. Like why are these monks right. Hiding immortals, and then they have shotguns for some reason, but sure. It's not the worst thing. Like, the movie could explain it later, but once you you eventually see a tattoo, you're like, oh, these are Watchers. Yeah. Okay, these are Watchers? Yeah. Okay. The the Watchers get a weird, weird point, like a weird thing in this movie, but again, stuff we'll talk about. (laughs) We're going going to get there. But Kel and his, his band show up, and... He does the whole, I don't care about the rules of the game and blah, 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 and this big speech, and then he kills all of the immortals in the sanctuary. Just starts chopping heads. Before that, his minions all show up first and just get all shot up. And it's like, these guys aren't very good minions. Yeah. Until Donnie Yen shows up and just goes Donnie Yen on the thing. And it's like, and I was reading, like, this is one of his first... Hollywood things at all, yep. where he was uh, he was hired to do the fight choreography, mm-hmm. but he was so good that they like put him in the movie. It was like this and one other movie, I forget what it was. And um, and to the movie's credit, they did that because I think it's yeah, it's so much better because of that. Yeah, it, it, he's a fun little bad guy character that they could have given a little bit more to, but it's still fun to watch him be Donnie Yen. They could have given a so little young. Bit. Yeah, they could have given more to a lot of the characters in this, but they just didn't. Well, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And and they gave too much to characters that really didn't need it. So Right. Uh, but yeah, Kel's basically like, I don't, I don't care about the rules, and he kills all the immortals. And then we cut to Duncan doing his um, meditations, and he starts having these mm-hmm. flashes and visions of uh, violent imagery. So right. he's confused. He, nice, clean-cut, short-haired Duncan. Yes. At this point. Yep. Uh, so he, he decides he's got to go figure some stuff out on his way there. There's a weird moment where he walks by a payphone that starts ringing 
And this was also this was added to the producer's cut. Okay. Is um, the the whole thing with the phone and him picking it up and the voice on the mm-hmm. other end saying, "Whatever you think about Connor McCloud, fear the worst." Right. Kids, a payphone was this box that you would go up to, and it had a phone yeah. with a line connected to it, and you could call people if you put some money in it. Yeah, but that phone didn't move. It stayed in one place. Nope. Um, so so Duncan goes to talk to Mythos, um, and Mythos explains to him what the sanctuary is and mm-hmm. what it's for. And Duncan can't believe that Connor would do this, because what's confusing Duncan is he's having these these nightmares and these images 10 years to the day after Duncan or after Connor disappeared. Right. So, so what we're now uh, understanding is that the day that Rachel's uh, that Rachel was killed, Connor disappeared. Duncan hasn't seen him since. Mm-hmm. Um, which kind of doesn't fit with the timeline in terms of the show. Like you'd think that would have come up at some point in Duncan's life, but hey, you know what? We're retconning, so yeah. whatever. So Duncan goes. Well, isn't this where they had the Mythos line that they cut to from the original? Yes. So in the theatrical version, Mythos mentions that the sanctuary is holy ground, which is a huge issue and plot hole and upset a lot of fans at the time because Mm -hmm. Kel goes in to holy ground and kills a bunch of immortals on holy ground with Mm -hmm. no repercussions. Nothing happens. Because... One of my favorite lines from the entire Highlander series, and we'll get to it eventually, but you, you, if you're a fan, you've seen the series, you remember that the last time it was mentioned that uh, Immortal fought and killed somebody on holy ground was Pompeii. Yep, in se- around 79 <laughs> AD. And we even saw in the previous movie, Kane attacked Connor on holy ground at that Japanese expo. Uh, right place not expo but that that um the holy ground there and things started to shake and like there was a mini earthquake mm-hmm. and then they got off a of holy ground um, right so that was that was not great and they cut that completely out of this version of the movie um which makes better it makes the scene work more because now we don't have that mm-hmm. huge plot hole but now it brings about a different plot hole which is why in the world would the watchers put a sanctuary not on holy ground. Right. Like, that would be rule number one. Like, when picking yeah. sites for the sanctuary, the watcher board would have been like, okay, so we need a spot. We're going to, we're going to, what we're going to do is we're going to put some immortals in suspended animation so that nobody can ever win the prize. All right. All right. So, so first rule is it has to be on holy ground. Right. Right. I think we can all agree about that. And right. it wasn't, apparently, in this version. Yeah. Which and is see, dumb. that would make, that would make the whole, Watchers in robes thing make more sense, but still. Even the rogue version of the Watchers. That part makes sense. Yeah, but even the rogue versions of the Watchers would have put it on holy ground. Like, they would know that. Right. So, whatever, fine. Hand wavy, just let's move on. Um, but yeah. Now, now we get Duncan going back to the um, uh, the apartment, or the, the loft in New York mm-hmm. to investigate, to find out what's happened to Connor. Which in ten years nothing has been done to that building. It's still bombed out yeah. in Manhattan. Um, okay, and sure. he gets in there, and then he sees somebody that he recognizes. First, he goes to the secret room that in ten years nobody else found. That's yes, that's did true. Anything. As well. But it was really cool to see Duncan in Connor's, you know, historic room and yeah, that was everything. 
they they did their best to recreate that room. I liked that. Um, mm-hmm. While he's wandering around, he a woman walks in, and he recognizes her as Kate. Who and she does not look happy to see Duncan at mm-hmm. all. Uh, turns out, did, oh, did we have a flashback here though? Oh, there were flashbacks all throughout. Yeah, we got we got flashback to Duncan and Connor in Italy, sword fighting, where Connor teaches mm-hmm. him an unblockable move. Um, right, which mm. is a weird move that doesn't make any sense. But huh, you think that's going to yeah. come back later? Probably. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, we get a couple of flashbacks with with Duncan uh, and Connor, Duncan remembering some things. But when he runs into Kate, who now is going by the name Faith, Mm -hmm. um, we get uh, yet another flash real quickly to she. um, They first met in a flashback of Duncan and Connor in Ireland where her carriage was being uh, accosted by some bandits, some 'er ne'er-do-wells on the road one of whom was played by WWE uh, superstar Edge, a.k.a. Yeah. Adam Copeland. Um, mm-hmm. That was a fun... I actually liked that flashback a lot because that was just a fun little moment of like, again, that great chemistry between Connor and Duncan. And this they, yeah, they happen sure. upon the scene and they're like, shall we? Yes, let's. And they just have a nice I little fight. It. Yeah. When they get off their swords and they unsheath their swords... <laughs> After getting off their horses, like, shall we? Yeah, let's have some fun. <laughs> yep. And they, it's they just like, easily dispatch of all of them. There's a great one-liner I'm going to play later. There's all sorts of fun stuff yep. to it. It's a great little moment. But the woman in mm-hmm. the carriage is Kate, who we now see in the present day. So, mm, okay, apparently she's an immortal. But they didn't feel her at the time. And she hates Duncan. She's just so upset to see him. And before they can really have any kind of a conversation... The other, uh, the the folks we saw take out the sanctuary show up on motorcycles inside the building somehow. Yep. Even though I think he's on the second floor by this point. So how they got the motorcycles through the window, I'm just No, gonna... he's down on the bottom floor. He never came up whatever elevator or something. He came through a hole in the wall and he's on the bottom floor-ish. Mm. Okay. But when, when they fight later, when he falls out the window, he's up above the yeah. ground floor. And he didn't go upstairs after yeah, they showed up. That's true. So, either way, hand wavy, hand wavy. Yeah. And they all show up, and then they have a little four on one fight. Mm-hmm. Three on? Is it four on one? Three on one? Um, no, it was four on one. It was four on one. And there's a that 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 again. That's another one where they broke a rule, right? It's always been one immortal, two two immortals mm-hmm. to a fight. Um, right. The difference here that I can kind of let get away with is that's always been a rule, but that's always felt a little bit more like a, it's just sort of an honorable thing. Right. Because we've seen in the series occasionally, like Amanda step into a fight out of nowhere mm-hmm. and that kind of or thing. Or when Duncan didn't finish a fight and then Mythos came in and finished it. Yeah, so that's always just sort of seemed like a, like a handshake agreement, not like a hard, fast rule like Holy Ground right. where there's repercussions. Not to mention, there. I guess there's intent involved in how that would work out, because these guys don't feel like they're intending to really kill Duncan or trying to that much or anything. Like, Yeah, it does make know. for... Or maybe they... Yeah, and it does make for... Maybe they can and they don't realize who Duncan is. Yeah. Sorry, guys. It's true. But it also makes for a more interesting action sequence. And we get a little right. one-on-one between um, Jin K 
and uh, and Duncan. So that was great that to was, see Adrian Paul and Donnie Yen just go at it for uh, a whole scene. That was probably my favorite fight in the whole movie. Like Easily. just seeing them like weapon to weapon and then they put their weapons down and go hand to hand and they're just like because and, if you're if you're a martial arts fan at all in movies you know who Donnie Yen is and he's right. amazing and it's great to see mm-hmm. Adrian Paul get to go up against somebody at that level and seeing just right. how good Adrian Paul really is too. Like he's holding yeah. his own in the choreography. It's See, great. That's one of the things that I think people, some people don't realize how much into the martial arts Adrian Paul was. Yeah. And how much it's like, he's still doing martial arts, teaching martial arts like crazy. Big time. Um, so it's, it's a big part of him. So like, that's not him like just trying to keep up with Donnie Yen. I'm sure that's him trying to keep up with Donnie Yen, but having a blast doing it. Like you could tell. Oh Yeah that they were having a good time even through the acting of doing this hand-to-hand fight. Well, it's a great sequence and it's well choreographed and it's a lot of fun and it's great to see people that are that good at what they do doing that. And it, one of the things the show did was it did explore his martial arts more, but you only have so mm-hmm. much you can do on a television budget, especially in the 90s. Right. This gave mm-hmm. him the ability to spend more time and choreograph something a little bit more. And uh, and just be able to, to make it more of a spectacle. So I really enjoyed that. But the scene mm-hmm. the scene ends with Kel showing up, starting to talk to Duncan. But before he can do his whole villain monologuing thing, one of the guys played by Damon Dash um, just pulls out a gun and shoots Duncan like six times, and fa- he falls out a window and lands on a piece of rebar. Right. And then we get the the dual thing of Kel admonishing that guy. And using a really bad dad joke before beheading him. <laughs> yeah. Which I might have captured as well. And Duncan nice. getting grabbed by some watchers. Okay. This, <laughs> this he bothered me so much that they cut the rebar. I'm like, he's dead. He's not going to feel it. Just pick him straight up. Yeah, you would think they had enough guys to do that. <laughs> they had, they had exactly enough guys to be able to do that. Like, I well, was just like, really? Now, the reba- here, here's what I will say. Okay. Number one, that guy rented that grinder, and damn it, he paid for it. He's going to use it. Okay. True. Number two, maybe they just didn't want to deal with like the the gaping wound and the blood that might come out of it for a few minutes before Duncan wakes up from that wound. Sure. Because one of the things with Immortals is they stay dead for a while um, before waking back up. And if they're still wounded, it takes longer. So that, that, yeah, I can, I can let that go. But you're right. Like they, they had enough guys that could have just picked them up, thrown them in the van and gone. Instead, they're sitting there with a big old, like, jaws of life grinder thing cutting the rebar. (laughs) Which they just happened to have knowing he was going to fall on some rebar, right? Yep. Right. Exactly. Uh, so they take him to the sanctuary. They're going to rebuild the sanctuary. Um, this <sighs> renegade watcher is going to rebuild the sanctuary with uh, starting with Duncan McLeod. And, mm-hmm. and dr- so they drug him and they put him into one of the, the little, because apparently they had some backups of like the rack thing that they put them in right. with, the, with the visor that goes over their eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, but they drug him in the most uh just over the top ridiculous manner they shove the they they put the the drugs in a big hypodermic needle and then shove the needle up his nose yeah and i was like really that that feels unnecessary 
That's the weirdest way I've ever. Maybe, I've never, I've never seen it done that. Maybe way. they cut the budget of you know fake needles to shove in somebody's arm or something. It's like just stick it <laughs> up his nose. Nobody will notice. <laughs> Maybe that I could see, but I was just like, oh man, really needle? Yeah. Okay, all right, fine. Um, and yeah, this watcher guy and the whole watcher mentality is just like. <laughs> They even have a line okay, somewhere guys. along the line. I think it's in this scene, actually, because Duncan's like, watchers? But you don't interfere. You just watch. And he's like, oh, well, things have changed. Like, oh, okay. Right. Guess we're just not going to ignore that then. Yeah. Because we've seen him already mm-hmm. tailing Duncan. Oh, yeah. Doing the thing with the sanctuary. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. Give us something. Don't don't just say, here's the sanctuary. I mean, why? Like, at this point, I'm like, okay, so is the sanctuary for immortals? Or is it something the Watchers did? So, And it's kind of chicken and egg at this point. It it is a little bit, right? Because this scene makes it seem as though they are just, they are going to have a sanctuary no matter what. But Connor went to it willingly. Right. So it's, it's weird like that. Um, and Mythos gives you the idea that that's what it is. It's a place you go willingly to yeah. get out of the game. Okay. So are the Watchers at this point just like, okay, we got to make sure nobody wins the game? That's uh, This and, guy definitely thinks that. And that's fine, but tell <laughs> me that. Explain that somehow. No, we're not going to explain that. We're just going to move on. No. Because we got, we yeah. got more movie to do. Um, yeah, we do. So Duncan spends some time drugged up and has some flashbacks and memories of his wife, his wedding mm-hmm. to Kate um, and Connor showing up and telling him about, you know what she is, you know that you have to trigger her immortality with a violent death and he's got to wrestle with that whole thing, which that's normal. Yeah. That's, that is part of the, the canon is right. having to do it via a violent death. But when that scene comes up later and he doesn't, I have thoughts about the whole Kate character in that entire arc, but the way right. that got handled by Duncan makes zero sense at all. Mm-hmm. So eventually, Duncan gets woken up by Joe Dawson. Our yep. good buddy Joe Dawson shows up to get him out of the sanctuary. And they, he, he's still drugged up, so they, they both stumble their way out. Duncan because he's full of drugs and Dawson because he has no legs below the knee. <laughs> yeah. And they get out to the car, and Mythos is in the car, and yeah, there's a Why there's Mythos still in the car. There's a great uh, line from Mythos uh, in exchange with Duncan. I may have captured that as well. Mm-hmm. But Duncan is is not happy, and right, he gets out of the car, and Dawson's like, "Hey, how many heads have you taken? How many quickenings have you had?" Mm-hmm. Apparently. One of the things that the Watchers do, aside from just observing and recording, is they keep score. They keep, they, it's like, as, as Dawson puts it, it's like handicapping horses. <laughs> Which makes sense. And this it was does. interesting. It does to a point. So he shows yeah. that Dun- uh, Connor's got like 262 confirmed quickenings and Duncan somewhere mm-hmm. in the 174 range. But the guy right. he's going up against, Jacob Kell, has 661 confirmed Immortal kills. Dun, dun, dun. Here is my problem with this. It's a great moment in the movie, but in mm-hmm. the overall story, it makes no sense that at no yeah. point in the last 10 years that Dawson has known Duncan, he would have mentioned this. Right. 
like this guy's crazy, he's evil, and maybe somebody should do something mm-hmm. about that. And Dawson being Dawson, he'd have said something. You feel like he would right. have. So this it, is also it's the trouble of the, retconning, right? Of adding a character after the fact. Well, not only that, this is the beginning of the thread where I'm like, this is where you started down the wrong path of how you wrote this movie. <laughs> where this makes where where this makes any sense or where this where anybody should give a damn about this because right here is where you should have started this movie with Duncan saying I don't care how many heads it takes yeah and not ha- because we're getting to it but only one person ends up fighting Kel yeah for kind of this reason I'm like this shouldn't be the reason this shouldn't do it and the way we've seen Duncan handling people throughout the series it would make even more sense that like I don't give a damn how many heads he's taken yeah I'm still gonna take him kind of mentality you know well and and yeah there's some weird motivations going on so Duncan wants to find wants to see Connor's body he's right he insists. So he makes Mythos and Joe drive him out to the cemetery where they buried Connor. And I love how and he gets <laughs> like I, I we love, gave him a good Christian burial. We said all the right things. I'm like, what? He's try I mean, this is this okay. is Joe trying to endear himself back to Duncan because again, their their relationship sure. has always been a little bit rocky at times, and I feel like this is one of those times where Duncan's very standoffish with him. Yeah, but that seems like the most hokey Oh sure. Line I've ever abs- heard come it, out of Joe Dawson's mouth. It's like <sighs> it absolutely is. Joe wouldn't have done that and said that. So, but but Duncan's like, "Look, end of the line, I'm going myself." So they drive off and Duncan goes into the cemetery mm-hmm. and then he feels an immortal, turns around and it's Connor. So apparently Connor has just been hanging out in the cemetery where he's been "quote unquote buried." Um, right. Waiting for someone to show up, I guess. I don't know. He's just there because yeah. That's where the scene was taking place. So they start having a conversation when who shows up but Kate and Kel. Yep. And this is the moment where Bruce Payne just goes for it. He turns yeah. the overacting mm-hmm. on and he cranks the overacting up to its maximum level. And he just starts chewing all the scenery and doing... For anybody... Wondering why he gets cast as the bad guys over and over. It seems like this, where he just he go he cranks it to eleven, and it's, it's just amazing. Especially at this point in his career, subtlety and nuance were not part of his arsenal. Because mm-hmm. this is around the same time that he was in the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> he had done Passenger Fifty Seven a few years before this. He is yeah. He was not a nuanced and subtle actor, and he is definitely not doing that here. His Jacob Kell is just just yelling and, and spitting and snarling all of his lines. And mm-hmm. he gets Connor all sorts of riled up to almost fight him in the cemetery. Then they go just outside the cemetery. Mm-hmm. Where, <laughs> Doug is like, Connor, Connor. <laughs> where, uh, where Kell proceeds to just uh, basically slap Connor around for a little bit and then mm-hmm. tells him that he's not going to kill him. And he explains to him that throughout his life, all of the, the bad things that have happened have been his fault. Kel has been there for all of it, 
orchestrating right. it behind the scenes. And he's going to continue doing that. He's not going to kill Connor. He's going to make him live until they're the last two and make him suffer. All because Connor killed his adopted father in a fit of rage after they killed Connor's mother. So that's... right. If there's a problem with the character of Jacob Kell, it's that his motivation makes no sense for the the, the reaction that he gets. Like, Yeah, it's basically a pot calling a kettle black. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Um, which is unfortunate because I love just just scenery chewing over the top mustache twirling villains. Like mm-hmm. to me, that's fun, and that's what made the Kurgan was the same type of thing where we don't have a lot of backstory to him. He's just a bad dude, and right. that's fine. We don't have backstory to Kel other than he saw his adopted father killed in front of him. He died, mm-hmm. and then four hundred years later, he's an immortal killing machine. Um, right. So it's a little little bit silly and uh, and a little too much, but at the same time, Bruce Payne's just just having fun. So yeah, it's one of those things where you kind of let it go just because he's such a good villain. Yeah, he, he, I mean, he really is. Um, now, then we get uh, some time spent with uh, the subplot of Kate and Duncan and all of that stuff. And to me, this is yeah. So I already don't like retconning in characters too much and we've got enough Mm -hmm. of that with Kel and Connor and that background because why didn't that come up at any point in his life previously but sure whatever we'll hand wave that away Kate slash Faith is a character that has no depth that is paper thin in terms of the writing and is shoehorned in and retconned in as Duncan's immortal wife from 200 years previous that we've never heard of. Right. And it's apparently, I mean, he was old enough at that point to understand immortality and how it worked Mm -hmm. yet and know that like, yes, you know, you have to, it has to be a violent death to trigger the immortality. Otherwise you just grow old and die. Fine. He knows all that. Right. He doesn't talk to her at all. Because they tell us specifically about that. Yes. Which is fine. And Connor had that conversation. Uh, yeah. That honestly, like, that makes sense. You got to have that little bit of exposition mm-hmm. there. But he even says in that conversation, she's not going to believe you if you tell her uh, about her immortality. So he doesn't try. And he just right. waits until she falls asleep and stabs her in the chest. Yeah. And that was definitely my biggest problem. Somehow, with in this movie. like. Yeah, and and so that makes no sense whatsoever. And she just immediately leaves. And I guess that was the last time he saw her. I think so. Which, that makes sense of how you shoehorn that character in there. Um, This is one of those things where, like, it's written terribly because you're focusing too much on trying to make her immortal for whatever reason and not focusing on Duncan's character enough. Here's how I would have written it. Duncan and her have the conversation. She's at the point where she's about ready to do the knife herself, her choice. And as they're talking about it, Duncan does it for whatever reason. You know, they, they have the conversation. He, She's like, I can't do it. Yes, you can. Uh, I can't do it. Okay, whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. Whatever happens, shunk. See, and there, that, yeah, because what that does is that that effectively puts them in the same footing that they are in this movie where where Duncan mm-hmm. takes the agency away from her and the choice away from her. 
because right. he's he's young he's he's old enough to know better, but he's still young enough as an immortal to think they're going to mm-hmm. spend the rest of their lives together forever, all that kind of stuff, and he just makes an impulsive choice. But it still has her in the moment. In this, she's right. literally not there. And yeah. it doesn't feel like the type of thing that even a dumb, young Duncan would have done. And so right. it, it really annoys me. And then on top of that, like for her, for her to just never get mentioned in his life again and he spends all the time with Tessa and all the stuff that we know from his character right. in the series to then force this in there like that. I understand you can't just bring back characters or 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 whatever, um, but there, there didn't need to be that character and that subplot in this movie at all, let alone yeah. the way that they did it. It really annoyed me. Um, mm-hmm. The actress was she's fine. She wasn't anything. She's given nothing to do. Yeah, um, pretty much. I did read that she's, Lucy she, Lawless was in the running for the role and couldn't do oh it because of Xena. Um, which that's fine. Is Let good. her have Xena. Like, it's better yeah. that she was doing Xena. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen her in this, but oh at the same time, like, it would have been a waste of Lucy Lawless with the way the character was written. Yeah. We don't need to go down a rat hole, but my God, Lucy Lawless is, like, such a great Twitter follow right now. <laughs> oh, I bet. <laughs> like. So, it, the, yeah. whole, the whole thing with Kate Faith just, it takes, it, it slows down the momentum of everything that's going on in the movie it's an unneeded subplot to to have a romantic interest in there, which we don't mm-hmm. have to have. The series has right. proven to us that you can have stories with a romantic point, and you can have them without it, and both work. And in this case, right. there's no need. The story of Duncan and Connor and everything that's going on with Jacob Kell, that's that's the, the crux of everything. And mm-hmm. to have this stuff with Kate just takes away from that, and it pulls you away. Right. And they try Probably. to weave it back in with like, oh, she's working with Cal, and there's mm-hmm. there's some sort of a sexual relationship with them, yeah, um, which is Maybe. a little creepy. But yeah, like it's just one of those things where it just didn't need to be there, and it takes away from the momentum. Yeah. Every time they would cut to one of those scenes, it's like, mm-hmm. and we've slowed down again. Yeah, there was a way to do it, but they just didn't do it well. I wouldn't even had them married. Like, have this whole thing happen before they even get that far, and then. It's somebody Duncan knew and not his wife. Yeah. Kind of thing. But yeah, I get like that's, it's, that's my first how I would rewrite this movie at this point. Like we got up to this point, and I'm like, yeah, here's where I would start. Yeah, she's, with it. she's not his wife. Even have something where he triggered her immortality. They they tried to make a go of it, but she started to resent him because of finding out about all the things she wasn't gonna have and her changing right. over time. Because there's a line at the beginning of the movie where Connor says, people change, and you'll learn that. Mm-hmm. And use use that line and that idea and bring that back and work her in with something there where something right. changed with her over time and she grew to resent him instead of just immediately because, resenting him. Because for... they actually do the change thing at the very end. In the producer's mm-hmm. cut. So it would help it so much more to have some of that in here. Yeah. You're right. Um, so Kel goes through this whole kind of Last Supper scene um, where he kills off all of his followers. His little And they're Mary. all on one side of the table yep. because that's, the camera's his, on this side. I love his that. His little merry band of, uh, of followers, which mm-hmm. there was, I think it was, might have they might have gone over it in the rough cut. 
I think there I, was, I saw this too. Yeah, there was a whole about. there was a whole thing where if Kel got to six hundred and sixty six immortal kills and quickenings that he caused, that something would happen and he would become unstoppable. And mm. if you count out the movie, at the time he's said to have had six hundred and sixty one confirmed kills, he kills four more people right. in that scene. Potentially five, because we're led to believe he killed Kate too. Mm-hmm. Um but that whole thing got dropped. Like right. any of the supernatural stuff with Kel got dropped. Because if you ever saw the trailer for this movie, by the way, the trailer is about seventy percent stuff that is not in the movie at all. <laughs> like there's a there's a shot. That. Yeah, there's a shot in the trailer where where uh Connor cuts Kel down the middle and he splits into two versions of himself. There's a shot in the trailer where Duncan and Connor jump through some sort of a magic portal. Like they're jumping oh, out fine. of this portal. There's all sorts of stuff that just... And some of it was literally shot for the trailer only to make it look more interesting. <laughs> which is terrible. Uh, I blame um, Dimension yeah. for that. But... Yeah. Uh, there, so, so Kel goes through this whole thing and then... Duncan. Well, it's interesting too. I think in the the rough cut, the Donnie Yen's character gets a little bit more to do. So yeah, so like okay, that's that's a good point. Yeah, the at a point in that scene, you see Donnie Yen, you see Jin K like figure out what's happening. He sees it coming, mm-hmm. and he grabs his sword and he stands up uh, while Kel is standing on the table with the dual swords. In the rough cut, what he does is he actually takes the sword he's got in his hand, he jams it into the wall. And then runs himself into it and decapitates himself before Kel can can kill him, so right. that Kel doesn't technically uh, hasn't killed him, and so it's not a confirmed right. immortal kill for Kel. Um, and they they ended up cutting that and re-editing the scene, so it just looks like Kel kills him. Um, yeah, which I get it, uh, but at the same time, it's like they mentioned Jin K being a man of honor, and so I kind of like the idea right. of him going out that way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it is what it is. Then Duncan uh, goes up onto the roof of the building and thinks Kel is there. But nope, it's not Kel. It's Connor. Connor's back. Yep. And now they have their final moments together. Because <sighs> Connor realizes that neither one of them can beat Kel. And Connor, at this point, the only person that means anything to him is Duncan. Right. And that's, that's a very important plot point is that Connor went into the sanctuary because he didn't have anything left in him. Mm -hmm. So Connor knows that Kel isn't going to kill him. Kel is going to torture him, and he will kill Duncan. Right. And Duncan is not strong enough in Connor's eyes to defeat Kel on his own. Sure. And so the only way he knows how to do it is only one of them is going to fight Jacob Kell and he feels that it needs to be Duncan because right reasons and they can mm-hmm. combine their powers and Voltron themselves into super immortal and kill, <laughs> yeah. kill Kel. Uh. So again, as I mentioned earlier on in this episode, I, I get why you're writing Connor out of the continuity. Uh, Lambert's, right. Lambert's too old. Plus Christopher Lambert has uh, myopia and he can't see. Like, mm-hmm. he's pretty much blind without glasses on, and he can't wear glasses while he's doing sword fights. So, like, doing sword fights by right. this point in his life was dangerous. Um, mm-hmm. So, I get writing the character out. And I even understand the motivation of, like, 
their powers combining and Connor sure. sacrificing himself, knowing that there's no way, like he can't beat Kel and he can't stop mm-hmm. Kel from killing Duncan. And Duncan is the only person that means anything to him anymore. And so he can give himself up and allow Duncan to defeat Kel so that Kel can't win. So I get right. that. Um, it just felt really clunky the way that they kind of got to that point. And mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't love that. Like they could have there could have been some sort of a better motivation behind Connor doing that. And it sounds like you might have some thoughts, so go for it. Here's my rewrite on this. Kel has already threatened Duncan. He's okay. gonna kill Duncan to mess with Connor. Do that. Have him go after Duncan. Connor shows up, says, no, this is my fight. Kel kills Connor. Mythos sweeps in and gets Duncan out of there. And this is where you start the trajectory of Duncan saying, I don't give a flip how many heads he's taken. I'm going to take him out. And Duncan showing, as he's shown in the show, that he is some kind of special immortal. Yeah. That is just like... I mean, the reason we watch the show and we watch this movie is because they're superheroes, basically. Yeah. So let Duncan be the superhero that everybody seems to think he is, and that at this point he is convinced he's going to be for Connor's sake. Yeah. No, I I like that. That's how I would have done that. It gives a... What it does is it gives a a, a weight to Connor's death. Right. Right. Uh, more of a weight to Connor's death. It gives Duncan mm-hmm. uh, more to overcome, so he's more right. of an underdog in the final fight than he already is. And so I, also, I like he's that. Super pissed, he is. And now, we know how super pissed Duncan is. And you could, you know, Kel earlier said, "I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to play with you." Yeah. No, have that fight go to where he pisses off Kel enough that Kel takes Connor's head. Like that's what Connor does. Like. And that would fit with Connor a little bit more, right? Like, that right. feels like something Connor would do. I like that. Mm-hmm. Now, the bummer of it is is that it would take away that emotional beat where um, where Duncan realizes what Connor is setting him up for. And sure. he has to say goodbye to him. Like, for all, the, for all the problems with that scene, that moment is actually pretty powerful and pretty emotional. Because we're getting the Chekhov's yeah. gun of he's... Duncan knows this move... Granted, he'd be able to just drop the like, let go of the sword, and it wouldn't be a thing. But yeah, but it's uh, that that interplay between the two of them, that emotional moment of the acting. I liked what we got. Sure, I'm, I'm with you in that. I would rewrite it, but mm-hmm. what we did get, I did like that moment. Yeah, I like that moment. I hate the way we got there. <laughs> yes, um, and I do think like there's something to be said for uh, for Connor showing up, goading Kel to the point where Kel's. Uh, done with him and then they mm-hmm. can have that same moment with Duncan standing on the sidelines and you know it's sort of right. a you have the Luke and Obi-Wan moment right where mm-hmm. where Connor's sitting there and he knows it's over and he go he looks over at Duncan and he you know gives him that moment to say goodbye and then Kel takes his head yep right and yeah um so that would have been better but essentially we get there um <laughs> Duncan takes Duncan Connor's quickening and he goes after him. Now, this yeah. is another moment where the producer's cut uh, changed some things. They extended this fight at the end. 
with um, noticeably. And there's one, yeah, there's one moment where it's very noticeable because they just use the same sequence of moves, uh, <laughs> right? Again, they actually did that a couple times in the movie. There was a moment with Duncan and Kate where she's it's the whole until the day we are reborn line and Duncan mm-hmm. says it and then later on in that same scene they use the same shot just flipped 180 degrees right but in the fight yeah. there's there's some extended stuff now one thing they did do was they toned down the face morph which was really silly where Connor's mm-hmm. face shows up on Duncan and his voice is coming out of Duncan um, yeah that again we've never seen before in any of the properties <laughs> Yeah, and that's something you didn't you didn't need face more. Just do the audio. Like have yeah. Duncan speaking with Connor's voice there too. I wouldn't have done straight Connor like they did. I would have had Duncan and Connor together. Yeah. So that it, you know, it makes sense. It feels like the two of them together. Absolutely. Uh and I guess in the in the theatrical version there's more face morph and it's like it's even worse. So I think I do remember that being really bad. Yeah. There's a few moments where the effects aren't great in this. You can see like some obviously green screened stuff and some yeah. some sloppily put together uh mm-hmm. you know, we've gotta rush this to get it done type effects, but Speaking you know. of rushing things, like let's put the watchers in there for half a second. <laughs> I was like, What the what the heck? Yeah, You're shooting one of them? And then Joe comes in and just blasts you away and says Merry Christmas because it's Christmas time. Well, yeah, Wait, that that is hilarious, is and I actually Highlander wrote that in game a Christmas movie. So there's that moment and that line from Joe, and in the rough cut, there was a subplot of Connor buying Christmas trees or something. So I guess it's supposed to be set around that, but it's like it's never brought up at all throughout the movie. So Joe just saying Merry yeah. Christmas after he unloads a revolver into that guy. <laughs> yeah. You do see a lit up Christmas tree in the background and like, yeah. okay, I guess it's Christmas time. But it was Luckily. so it was so weird. Oh. Yeah. And uh like the, and, I wouldn't uh, have minded that if we had again more explanation of what the hell is going on with the watchers at this point. Like any is Joe any with the watchers context. is this some weird division of the watchers and they're going renegade now to make sure that the game Never gets one. Like, what the heck? That's yeah, all I have of, to say at this point in the movie. What the heck? None None of that is addressed at all. Um, Duncan beats Kel. Has, uh, has a With really, the, really big quickening. The trademark flip over the guy and kill him. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he straight up Obi-Waned him. Like a year... Cause, the, the year after Obi-Wan did it. Oh, that's where they got it. probably um and then we get a little uh a nice moment where duncan took connor's body back to scotland and buried him next to heather Mm -hmm. uh you want to talk about a green screen scene that was also like the last shot uh of the film production and according Uh to the trivia got sent to the editors the day they started making prints for the movie so they they definitely had to quickly put that one in there um dear lord but that happens, and then, yeah, it's very green screen because he turns around and he's standing in this, you know, wonderful Scottish vista, and all of a sudden it morphs and he's back in London, I guess, at whatever fashion show is going on, or New York, sure. wherever that's supposed yeah. to be. And uh-huh. who's there but Faith? She's alive because hey. reasons. And it makes no sense because at all. Because Kel, the most murderous person in all of... <laughs> 
immortals decided, ah, you're good. Oh, yeah. No, it's like the guy who like, literally didn't mm. care about the game and was just killing everybody who was in his way uh, and in, in the original subplot was trying to get to 666 kills, just let her live. And they hand wave mm-hmm. it away with the line of, Kel made his choice. Like, what? No, it's not even a good hand wave. Like, no. She's just there. And she's completely flipped and now wants to give Duncan another chance. Right. Because, again, that makes sense. If we knew anything about her character at all, maybe it would. I don't know. Faith is dead. Let's give Kate another try. Okay. Okay. I I groaned so hard at that moment. Uh Uh-huh. It was terrible. Like, yeah. There's there's good stuff in this movie. Mm -hmm. There's some, some things. It's watchable. Especially the producers, right. it's very watchable. But mm-hmm. man, do they make some poor choices? Like, yeah, so very poor choices for these characters that we know. Especially for those of us fans of the series, having walked this lifetime with Duncan, yep, who has a who already had a previous connection with Connor, and we've seen Connor in the movies, so we, you know, have that mm-hmm. connection with Connor, and then it gives us this buddy buddy movie, like. They're buddies throughout the movie until Connor's like, I'm sad. Kill me, Duncan. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, it's like, uh, I mean, the good of this is Adrian Paul. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. His performance is great. Some of the stuff they did with Duncan, like, I just don't like anything that revolved around Kate. And so, right. Duncan and Kate made no sense. It wasn't mm-hmm. well fleshed out. They had no chemistry. And... His whole reason for doing what he did and his execution in doing what he did. You see what I did there? Um, uh-huh. Was poor. Like, all of that was bad. But but yeah. but Duncan, overall, really good. Connor, overall, yep. really good. Motivations are weird. Yeah. Like, even if you want to go the route that they did with him, with Connor, like, give us more of how downtrodden and how despondent it is and how nihilistic he's become and, and just giving mm-hmm. up on life. We just didn't right. have enough of that. Um, I loved seeing Joe and Mythos, and they even had that little moment where Mythos is like, you were going to stay and dig, weren't you? Like, for Connor's body. <laughs> like, it was so that good. That was great. That was great Joe Mythos stuff. And it was like, it, ah, I wanted more of that. It really, really was. I liked Bruce Payne as bad as the character is, and, like, just sure. over the... Like, again... In a, in a movie like this, with just this outlandish idea, just give me the crazy villain. Yeah. You know, it worked with Mario Van Peebles and Kane. Mm-hmm. It worked with uh, Michael Ironside and Katana. Right. The Highlander movies like to use the letter K. Apparently, either Bill Davis or Bill Panzer or William Davis. Peter Davis, sorry. Peter Davis or Bill Panzer hate the letter K or mm-hmm. like the letter K. I'm not sure which one. Because you had the Kurgan. General Katana, it's, Kane, and Jacob Kell. It's Panzer, because he was part of the story. You also have, was it, Kyler, Callus, mm-hmm. um, Canwolf. Yeah. <laughs> this is K's all over the place. Um, but, I mean, Bruce Payne just went for it. He just went crazy. Uh, he's got this really out-there look to him. Like, his clothing mm-hmm. was so crazy. I actually liked the visual of the three crosses on the back, on the heel of his shoes. Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's, and it kind of doesn't make any sense that he would continue to do that. But at the same time, it sort of does like, cause that's what he identifies with 
Well, one of the, what could have been a more fun thing that they just barely touched on is the fact that Faith is in the fashion industry and, like, apparently designs <laughs> the clothes for all these yeah. yuckety yucks under him. And it's just like, because when they bust into the uh, antique store and the guy's like, Duncan's making fun of his clothes. It's like, I thought orange would work or something like that. Yeah. And it's like he's talking to Kate or something. It's like, what? Uh-huh. Yeah, like, she, de- if, she designed his if, look. If you, if you could have had a little bit more of that, maybe, just a little bit. And like, maybe. But, that's the thing about this movie. There's so much that it's like, if you just give me a little bit more, you but, know, it would have helped. Maybe cut out some of, like, there were a lot of flashbacks in this movie. You could have toned those down, shortened yeah. those down some, and helped yourself out a little bit. Yeah. By the way, that character uh, who shows up at the antique store with a bat with spikes sticking out of it, an orange fur collar, and a red bowler hat. Um, that character's name was Cracker Bob. Right. So, you know, there's that. But, like, Kel was was good. I would have gotten... I would have cut the Kate character completely or reworked that a whole lot. There's a lot that I would yeah. rework with that. She's the, she's the thing that makes this movie really, really difficult to rank higher because mm-hmm. it gives us such a weird subplot with Duncan and things that Duncan just wouldn't do. It doesn't make any sense for him. It's yeah, like you don't they put this is the 90s 2000 thing we have to have a woman in there because our hero has to have a sex scene yeah well they've been doing that since the first movie like we talked about that in the right in but, the original highlander there's that four sex scene with brenda yeah where we're just like true she's known this guy for a week and most of what he's done is put her life in danger so she's gonna jump in bed with him like that doesn't make any sense right. and yeah it doesn't make any sense for her and her hatred of him to then come to him in the uh, middle of the night and just strip naked and jump in bed with him. Like that doesn't make to any sense. To feel something. Yeah. Like, no, you okay. felt, you felt a whole lot of hatred for this guy for 200 years. Yeah. So there's, yeah. Like, Reworker cut her out. She does not need to be in this movie at all. No, nope. Not, not at all. And if, you, if anything, make her part of the gang but she's just one of the young immortals that Kel has in his employ. There doesn't have to be a tie yeah. to Duncan. In fact, I would like but, it better if there wasn't a tie to and Duncan. And then have her, because Duncan is who he is, have him have trouble with her. Sure. And then later on, Mythos has a thing like, dude, she's still an immortal. <laughs> you get, Mythos just be like, Duncan, you have got to get over this thing. <laughs> exactly. And And... So there's a there's another thing. This movie had it had elements from the show, but where I as a fan, I want more of that. I want more Dawson. I want more Mythos and that, that mm-hmm. side of things incorporated right. in. And again, if you cut the subplot of Duncan and his ex-wife, you've got more screen time mm-hmm. to give to all this other stuff and flesh it out, as well as more time for Duncan and Connor to be together and the buddy-buddy stuff. Yeah. Because having... Yeah. Joe and Mythos in there was not fan service. It was like a fan snack. Yeah. Here's a little tiny snack for you to say, we, we saw the show too. Mm-hmm. We know these characters. Here you go. Yeah. And that's all you get. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, also there's no queen in the movie, which is a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. The the music's okay. There should have been something. There's a great rendition of Bonnie Portmore at the end, which I love. I love that version they use. Um, yeah. But yeah. Now I did 
I did capture some audio because well, let's face it, there's a few good uh, lines in here. Um, Heck yeah. I got a couple uh, from early on. This is Connor's mother. Um, and I just, I had to get this. This was when he walks into the, to her house and she's laying in bed. She's sick. Nobody's coming to help her. All of this kind of stuff. When she looks over and sees that it's her son, it's Connor who at this point, we don't know how long it's been since she's seen him. Right. Uh, I think this was supposed to be 1555. So like, it's like 16 years since he's been becoming immortal. If I, if I have the timeline, right, something around there, maybe nine. I don't remember. It's been a while. Um, but she sees Connor and I love the way she said this. I thought you might be the water horse. She thought he might be the water horse. And I, and, and that's great because the, the version of me that saw this movie the first time in like 2000, 2001, I was mm-hmm. not super familiar with the legend of the water horse yet. I've become more right. familiar with that as I've gotten older. So that was kind of cool to hear. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was just looking at it. He fought Kurgan and died in 1536. <clears throat> so. Okay. So about 19 years. Yeah. Okay. Um, now they gave one of the best lines in this movie to his mother when they have her up on the stake and mm-hmm. one of the things with that flashback is is uh, Bruce Payne in that scene where he's got the wig and the beard and all of that and he's he's pre-immortal Jacob Kell is really mm-hmm. good. He yeah. looks he's playing it as this character who it's almost like he's just going along because his father is the priest of the the village yeah. and he's got this this look of like genuine remorse over what's happening. And over yeah. the fact that he doesn't have a choice, he has to do this, even though he right. knows this woman. It's a it's a really good performance in that scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now the rest of the movie, he's snidely whiplash, but you know, for that right. scene, it was a that was a very nuanced uh, moment. I thought. Yeah. Um, and he he gives her one last chance to renounce uh, her son and everything. And this line is just oh, it's so good. If you got should persecute me into the next world. And I shall simply have to find myself another. I was like, oh man, that yeah. that is a line that is too good for this movie. Yeah. Like Ugh. that is that is punching way above their weight class in terms of mm-hmm. writing for that moment. And yeah. because I'm me, I also got I trimmed it down to this. Bottled. The way because I love those glottal stops and the way she says world. Yeah. Waddled. I love that. <laughs> yeah. But that line, oh, that line is so good. And just, mm-hmm. and again, she says that and it cuts to Kel and that look on his face is pained. It's pain. It's, it's yeah. hurting him to do this. Mm-hmm. So there was that. Um, I got some, some Jacob Kell lines. Uh, so right. this one was right before the final fight where they're standing on either end of that really long hallway. Which, that was just dumb. Oh, with Duncan running, swinging his sword? Yeah, at running. No, no, no. It's like, okay, that, dude. That did make me laugh. Uh, but this is Kel uh, to Duncan. What does it feel like to kill a brother? I mean, if anyone's going to know, it's Duncan, right? He's... Yeah. <clears throat> that mm-hmm. wasn't look it wasn't his first rodeo killing somebody that right. he knows very well so 
Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the thing. After after the series and everything, thing is like, well, it sucks. <laughs> it's not fun, and I don't like doing it, but it keeps happening. <laughs> um, this was the dad joke I mentioned earlier from Jacob Kell when he, uh, after the, the dude that had the claws... Uh, played by Damon Dash, then just pulls the gun out and shoots Duncan a bunch of times because yeah, that's what he's gonna do, I guess. Mm-hmm. But this this line, decap with a twist, no sugar. Decap with a twist, no yeah. sugar. Ugh. Ugh. Um, more Jacob Kell of him just sneering and snarling out lines when after. He has had his confrontation with with Connor just outside the the cemetery and just dressed him down. And then when he addresses Duncan at the end of it. Mm Mm-hmm. You, on the other hand, are on borrowed time. Call you. Like, oh, God, it's so cheeseball and it's so good. Oh, my gosh. And then Duncan does it at the end when he kills Kel. Yes. Oh, the callback. The, the call you callback. And it's even worse then. Oh. And, oh. and yet I loved it. Like, again, he's just sneering those lines out. Like, you can just, you can hear the derision I in think, his voice. I think I would have been more okay with it if Duncan didn't do it at the end. This is true. Because it works it works for his character and the way he is and stuff like Although we uh, have we have seen Duncan do the cornball lines in the show. Sure. So But yeah. Um uh, but going back to that final fight, I, I'm just remembering like Duncan starts off pissed, but then up on the the towards the end we get cocky Duncan I'm like oh, oh, mm-hmm. oh, oh, oh. there yeah. he is yeah which again I like your rewrite because at that point in your rewrite that's what we get from Duncan he jumps into the fight mm-hmm. after this guy is yeah. supposed to be unbeatable he, and right he'd still start off pissed but then we would get to cocky Duncan mm-hmm. as we did in there but yeah um the first words that Connor McLeod ever speaks to Duncan McLeod, some of the first words he does. And this is Duncan waking up after a battle and he sees this dude and it's Connor McLeod and he's, he can't believe he's seeing Connor McLeod. And I just love this, this line. And like you, my friend, I have a hard time dying. Like that's good. That's good delivery. It's very good. I mean, Christopher Lambert, the way he delivers those cheesy lines so spectacularly in just about every movie he's in. Oh, hell yeah. He made a career out of it. He really did. Yeah. Um, here's another good one where it's when he and Duncan are having their final fight and he's kind of telling Duncan basically like, look, one of us is going to have to die in order to beat this guy. We can't. Neither one of us is good enough to beat him. We have to beat him together. And... That means one of us dies and takes the other one's power, but the, the delivery of this line. Look inside and tell me I'm wrong. But come on. That's good. It's mm-hmm. again, it's cheesy. I don't care. It's yep. a it's a good delivery, and he's got that gravel in his voice. Yeah, he does. Um so we got uh Duncan and Dawson. They don't have a ton of screen time together, but this moment was pretty good. How many heads have you taken? I don't keep score. But we do. 
that would have been cool to kind of like expand on and, and explore more. Right. The whole mm-hmm. idea of, of tracking the power levels of these immortals and right. the fact that again, the watchers are supposed to observe and record, but not interfere, but yet they have all this information that they know. Yeah. And like, we've seen Joe break those rules before. So right. I would have liked that. Um, I didn't have this. Okay. Power levels. What do we do? And then Duncan comes in like Goku was like, you want power levels? I'll show you power levels. <laughs> exactly. Which he sort of, they touched on, but they, they didn't follow through with it. Like he just right. barely said it. And then it was just ignored again. Um, mm-hmm. I obviously I always want more mythos. Mythos is, is great. Uh, but he does have yeah. this great exchange with Duncan as they're leaving the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. I managed to liberate that from their lost phone. There's blood on it. I didn't say it was easy. That's a great moment from Mythos. It's just, that was great. I love that. I didn't say it was easy. I remember like, chuckling the first sword? time. <laughs> you used my sword on people? And Mythos would just be like, yes, get over it. And uh, I got three more. Um, I got two. The, the only two times this was said in the movie, but it's a Highlander property. And when this is said, it gets captured. Here's Christopher yep. Lambert. In the end, there can be only one. Oh, no one says that like him, by the way. Yeah. There's just no, nobody has ever said that line the way that he does. Mm-hmm. And then the other time it gets said is Duncan. There can be only one. So, you know I'm capturing those. But the Not final bad. one, the final thing I got is from one of the flashbacks. And it is one of those where if you are, if you know, you know, and you get where this, uh, where this line came from, but it's mm-hmm. a, it's a great moment. It's a nice little tongue in cheek in joke. Uh, and it's, it's as the guy, it's as edge Adam Copeland is running up to Connor from behind with a rock over his head, giant boulder over his head that he's going to throw at him. Mm-hmm. And Duncan kind of rolls over and has the sword right into his crotch and they stop him dead in his tracks. And Duncan says this. Looks like you lost your edge, lad. And that, uh, it's... I knew it was coming, and I still laughed out loud. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, I knew it was coming, and it still it got great. me every single time. Looks like you lost your edge, lad. So, now I have that. That's Highlander It's one of the Endgame. best in-jokes in it, a movie, It really I is. Yeah, I love stuff like that. It, it Again, cheesy. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Don't care at all. But that's Highlander Endgame. Um, yeah. Is it great? No. Is it watchable? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Especially the producer's cut now. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Which apparently um, they've just swapped in there, so. Boy, I can't imagine. Uh, I did not see this in theaters, and I'm glad that I didn't see it in theaters, because I would have been very upset if I had. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Uh, that would have bugged me quite a bit. Um, you know, see, there's... I don't remember the movie. I remember how bugged I was about the movie. <laughs> fair, fair. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, if you're a Highlander fan, it's worth seeing. If you're like us and you're going through the series and you really enjoy that, it's worth watching because of the performances of Adrian Paul, of Christopher Lambert and of Bruce Payne. Um, Mm -hmm. it's also, it's got a great couple of fight sequences in it. Like the action is well done. It's well staged. There's a great shot in, um, Oh, I think it's in the, I want to say the cemetery maybe, where Connor has his sword 
and he points it like through across camera. And it's just the composition mm-hmm. of the shot is really great. Like it's just a very cool yeah. cinematic looking shot. Um, mm-hmm. Having Donnie Yen there and doing fight choreography, always good. Uh, and he really yep. like they they were able to up their game in terms of the look of the fights. Um, yes, reused footage notwithstanding. Yeah, and that final fight, it was okay. Mm-hmm. Like there's like the thing with the chains was cheesy. That finally was. getting up up there and just I, I I was hoping for a little bit better of a sword fight at the end, but it wasn't terrible. No, it wasn't. Um, and also, but, like the pacing and everything was good, and the sword work itself, I felt was good. Mm-hmm. Um, it also I f- looks I feel like, more dynamic, right? Because they're able to use yeah. different camera angles and wider shots and and stuff that they could do because they could have a bigger set. The only thing, the only thing for me is they set the bar with that hand to hand fight mm. early in the movie, yeah. and they never reached that bar. No, again, they, de- they definitely did not. Unfortunately. But that scene was so awesome. I'm like, okay. Now, in a perfect world, uh, you would redo this movie and you would have Donnie Yen be your bad guy. Have him go up against Jin K. And I think there was also mm-hmm. early versions of the script had more of the flashbacks taking place in, um, uh, I want to say it was in China, in Shanghai, and stuff like that okay. that they, they cut and rearranged. Um, sure. Because I think Hugh, in an early version, uh, Fitz was supposed to be in some of the flashbacks. And um, mm. uh, who else was it? Um, th- this would have been, I think, probably before they decided to bring Connor in, right? When it was still going to be that that bridging between Highlander and the Raven. Right. But, yeah, it's, you know, it's worth seeing. Uh, I wouldn't go out of your way for it, necessarily, unless you're a Highlander right. fan. If you're, if you're listening to this show, you're going mm-hmm. to enjoy it. Um, cause there's, there's a good yeah. fair bit of stuff to take from it. I, I only rented it through Apple. I think it's worthy of a rent. I'm not oh, sure yeah. you need to, to buy it unless you are a completionist and just want to have everything. Yeah. If you've got to have all the Highlander stuff, go ahead and pick it up. Uh, otherwise yeah. rent it, give it a watch. It's, it's mm-hmm. perfectly fine for that. Yeah. And that is going to wrap up in totality our season four. We have yeah. we have finished season four. We begin season five next. Uh, mm-hmm. By most accounts, the best season of the series is season five. Nice. Um, I know it's got some very memorable episodes, uh, including mm-hmm. my favorite two part arc in the whole of the series. So nice stuff to look forward to there. We are going to take a short break though. Um, you're out of town next week, and yeah. We're going to take a couple weeks off before we come back, kind of recharge, get ready, hit the ground running mm-hmm. to do season five. So keep an eye on the feeds. Keep an eye on the Twitters. Um, yep. I am on Twitter at TV's Travis. And Audie, you are on Twitter as? The Audie Norman. And talk to us. We want to we want to hear from you. What were some of the things that you remember from season five getting ready to watch it that you're looking forward to mm-hmm. hearing us talk about? Um and uh, and also let us know what you thought of Highlander Endgame. I'm really curious yeah. to know what people think of that. If they have watched it or want to watch it again, you know, was your yeah. favorite was your favorite thing the fact that Edge was in it from WWE, <laughs> WWF, or right. you know, did you remember that he was in it at all? Um, all that kind of stuff. Do you like Jacob Kell as a villain, or do you think he's terrible? Um, you know, let us know. We want to hear from you. And, uh, and also, you can always see Audie's great uh, artwork for every episode, which I liked your artwork for this one because the poster has them both holding their swords low uh, for the movie. But you what are have, the posters? 
Oh yeah, yeah, and and I love that you use the one where Duncan's got the sword up high and just to talk. Uh huh. Hold your sword down low, but I like it up here. Like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that made me <laughs> yeah. chuckle. Yeah, I, I was trying to that. figure out how I was going to do it, and then I noticed how they were different. I was like, oh, we're playing with that. <laughs> so that's great. So so definitely, and and if you uh, want to ever watch the show get recorded live, you can hang out with us uh, most Tuesday nights, nine p.m. Eastern, mm-hmm. Twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. Um, and and see us record the show live. So we'll be back in a few weeks, and we're going to start with Season 5, and I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be good. Me too. All righty. Well, until then, just remember that there could be only one good Highlander movie. And it's the first one. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>